You know, in the year 2000, we'll all be on speed dial. You just have to think of a person, they'll be talking to you. It'll be like, whoop, 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 getting a call here. <laughs> hey, it's Newman. Hey, how you doing, Newman? Oh, you want to talk to Jerry? My guest today is Byron Reese. He is the CEO and publisher of the technology research company GigaOM and the founder of several tech companies himself. He's also the author of the new book, The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity, which he joins me today to talk about. Byron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. The obvious thing, question people have picking up the book is, what are the three other ages and how does this fourth one fit in i mean if the first age as you as you write if that's about harnessing fire and language and if the second age is discovering agriculture and the third age really takes up uh, uh, takes us up till now but began with the invention of the wheel and the invention of writing all pretty significant inventions and innovations and technologies if the fourth age is ai and robots can can those ever compare to those other human advances? And those are pretty monumental. That is a fantastic question. Uh, and so you're right. We've had technological innovation as long as we've been a species. And, and I kind of arbitrarily divide that up into these ages based on when a technology comes along, sometimes they just, you know, help us out like, you know, penicillin. We have, uh, you know, we can treat disease better and all that. Sometimes something happens, though, that's so profound that it just changes the course of, of human history forever, forever. And, and like you said, you can't really, like speech was the first one. It's, it's hard to imagine humans without speech. It's like, that's a techno technology par excellence. Now, to your question, is it is it fair to say AI and robots could be of that caliber? And I guess my thinking was that... We're number one on this planet because we're the smartest things on it. And AI is a technology that makes us smarter. And so if we all went to bed tonight and woke up tomorrow with 10 more IQ points or 20 more IQ points, would that alter human history? And I, I think it would. Uh, and I kind of think that because, you know, the Internet came along and it was a really simple technology all it was was said hey wouldn't it be great if computers could talk to each other using common protocols i mean they're not smart they can just communicate to each other and and just saying what happens if we connect computers that gave us something like 25 trillion dollars in new wealth it transformed society and all of the rest the question is what would happen if technology suddenly made us smarter if we could outsource what our brains do to a machine and what our bodies do to a machine through robotics, won't that alter the trajectory of the planet in a meaningful way? Um, and that's the proposition I explore. My, my background is journalism. And I remember back, boy, in the early 2000s, working for U.S. News and World Report magazine. And I went to a, uh, I went to a conference on transhumanism. For the listeners who don't know, it's a belief that you know, that, you know, uh, people are going to, you know, sort of incorporate 
technology to a greater extent into into our bodies, and we're we're going to become something not even recognizably human. We'll become post-human, and they're very they were they were very interested in technology, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, and listening to folks then uh, at that conference, and we're just we're just sort of getting out of the 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 internet boom. You would have thought this was all right around the corner, and certainly by almost 2020, we would see a significant and profound change uh, in our lives. Uh, I, I I have talked to those folks lately. Uh, I don't think what we've seen so far would qualify as the sort of changes that they expected. And even when you re- when you uh, you know read folks today, there's been a, a, economists like Robert Gordon. They really push back at the idea that any of these technologies will will be nearly as transformative as you know electrification or or better or better public health or the internal combustion engine. And therefore, they see the future. Um, it, all the big inventions have been invented. All the big discoveries have been discovered, and we're in for a period of sort of slower economic growth, but certainly not the kind of radical societal transformation that one might think if you're viewing these technologies uh, the way you would view um, the wheel, for instance. So what are they getting wrong? Well, I, I do disagree with, uh, with that viewpoint. And I, and I think if you, if you start with the centrality of intelligence and to say that everything we've accomplished has come from the fact we're intelligent – and every everything, and and our preeminent spot on the planet is because we're intelligent. We, you know, we're not the strongest, and we're not the fastest. We're not. We don't have the best camouflage. We have like nothing going for us as a species, other than we happen to be really smart. And if if all of a sudden you had a way to augment that, and I'm not even talking like science fictiony augment it. Uh, I just mean. You know, stair step it up a notch. Mm-hmm. You know, our IQs are, are what they we we max out at two hundred or something, right? And and we managed to do everything we could do with that. Mm-hmm. Just imagine if you get some incremental incremental increase on it. Or think of it this way, um, not necessarily on the high end, even just the average, right? Was higher. I mean, I mean forget if, about if IQs of, of three hundred, but if the average IQ went of the average human went up well, twenty what, points, one person with. Uh, with a smartphone that has an AI um, electrician in it can be a really pretty decent electrician. Mm-hmm. And somebody with an AI in their smartphone that can diagnose illness, they're not as better than the best doctor, but but they're all of a sudden empowered in a really profound way. Or I would think of it this way. AI is a pretty simple technology. Um, it, 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 philosophically, it's a simple technology. It says, well, let's take a bunch of data about the past. And let's study it and make projections about the future. That's all it is. In, in kind of the machine language wor- world, the machine learning world we're in, you take a bunch of data, you study it, you make projections. So what does that mean? That means somehow we, we now have a collective memory for the planet. All of this data, your actions and my actions and everybody's actions are now being remembered. So for 100,000 years of human history, we learn something and forget it. Learn something and forget it. Learn something, write it down, goes into a library, nobody reads it and forget it. Now, what would happen if everybody's life became the data that made every future decision better? 
And that's a big deal. That would be a big deal if all of a sudden we didn't, we broke out of this learning and forgetting, learning and forgetting, learning and forgetting cycle, mm-hmm. and we re- learned and remembered. And that's what cheap sensors and all of this kind of digitalization of our lives is, is creating. You know, every everywhere I go, every everything I do, it kind of creates this digital echo that becomes the data which is used to make other people's lives better. Do you, if you, uh, I'm go sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. If you, if you were to ask, like, how optimum, how optimal are our lives now? Like, of everything that is known, what do we know? I think it was somebody, I think it was Henry Ford, I'm going to get that wrong, said, you know, we don't know one-tenth of one percent of anything. And I think if you had to kind of graph it, that's where we're at. We're not at, oh, we know 90% of it, and so all the big stuff's behind us. It's like, we know nothing about nothing. And there was, there was, a, there was a medication... Um, an antidepressant called Wellbutrin. And some people taking this medication said their smoking cravings went down. And so they said, huh, that's interesting. Let's study that. And then they find out, wow, this is a smoking cessation drug. Let's call it Zyban. And now, so we, we stumble through live our lives, like drunken sailors on shore leave. We, we make, we make discoveries like anecdotally, you've probably heard all of the accidental discoveries we make like penicillin Mm -hmm. and all of the rest. So that's what we do now. We, we are like those old Reese's peanut butter cup commercials where, you know, the, the guy's walking around the corner with his chocolate bar and he runs into somebody and it goes into the peanut butter. That's how we live our lives now. And that's how a hundred percent of all the progress we've made has just been that way. And all of a sudden we're, we're taking control of like the data that our world creates. We're learning how to, to, to study it and extract from it. And so the idea that somehow, you know, all the good stuff's been invented, I, I think it's, I mean, with all due respect, is beyond farcical. It, it 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 conveys like such a lack of imagination that, and 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 kind of so moment centric that like you know we're we're some kind of a pinnacle of some large. I just don't I don't think that's the case. I think the best days are yet to come. We're we're talking about artificial intelligence, I, I, and there's sort of different kinds. It's not just one thing. Though different different sort of flavors seem to be become preeminent, and maybe they they recede. Uh, what what do you, are we're not talking about super intelligence. We're You're talking right. About, they're, we're they're, talking about what. So what do you mean exactly by AI here? Machine learning. Fair what enough. are you talking about? I'm, I use a reasonably constrained definition, but you're right. It's a it's an unfortunate term because it means two completely different things. So on the one hand, AI, what we call more formally narrow AI, is a computer program that does just one thing. And that would be like uh, your spam filter in your inbox or, um, or what routes you through traffic. And that's what we're getting good at. And that's really what I'm talking about. The other kind of AI is what you see in science fiction, a general intelligence, a creative computer, and all of the rest. Nobody knows how to build that or nobody has demonstrated they know how to build it. Um, it. It may be centuries off. It may be impossible. Who knows? But I don't think you need that. I think just the simple idea that we, as a species, are learning how to save the data our lives generate. We're learning how to study that in a systematic way. We're learning how to use that data to make better decisions. Better decisions are these amazing things because they compound in value over time. If, if every day I make a thousand decisions and I just do like 10% better than somebody else over the course of time that compounds and that 
you, you pull away kind of exponentially eventually. And that's kind of what I think we can do with so, the simple AI we have now. So even simple AI, so we don't, we, don't, we don't need to have, you know, science fiction AI. We just need to have sort of better and better narrow AI being sort of diffused more widely throughout our lives and, and the economy. And that alone is enough to merit a society with its own name, the fourth age. I believe so, or at least that's the proposition I'm putting forth. I will point out that if, if all AI advances stop today, we probably have 20 years to catch up to just do what we know how to do to, like you were just saying, apply it to more areas of our life. I mean, if you just walk through your life and say, every decision I make throughout this day, what if data could have informed that decision? What if, then, then doesn't that collectively at a societal level amount to something and uh and when you hear people who are who are who are concerned uh about it uh that we're going to lose control of it it's going to end up killing us you have elon musk who's you know a a pro-technology person but very worried about ai is are they are they only concerned about you know sort of general intelligence ai or do some of these are these concerns do they also apply to more of the sort of the narrow applications Fantastic question. So I'm going to have one caveat to what I'm about to say. They apply to the general intelligence, to this technology that nobody knows how to build. And the, the logic is simple. It begins, and the caveat is about to come, by the way. The logic is simple. It says it begins with an assumption that not everyone holds, and that is that humans are machines, and your brain is a machine, and your mind is a machine, and consciousness, whatever it is, is mechanistic. It's a reductionist view of the universe that says, if you could just break down our brains small enough, you could you could build a mechanical version of that. And here's, here's the logical leap. It says, if you build a mechanical version, then it'll have an IQ of 100, then 200, then 1,000, then 100,000, then a million, and then it won't even know we exist. So that is the narrative that says this is, you know, a, quote, existential threat. Right. And that's what people worry about. The one caveat I will say is there's a lot of people who are worried about narrow AI in a very narrow way, which is they're worried about uh, the job situation. Is it going to take away all the jobs? Right. Nobody thinks their spam filter is going to go rogue and take over the world. Uh, and so there are worries around narrow AI, but they're, they're very narrow in terms of employment, which, by the way, I don't, I don't think is an issue. Well, let's, uh, you know, since you brought up, let's uh, dig into it. So that's, it's sort of amazing. It's sort of, we've, we've moved, I think, rather quickly to from being sort of really enthusiastic about what's happening, you know, in this field to quickly jumping to the point of even if it isn't, you know, again, um, you know, super smart uh, robots are going to take over the world or a Terminator scenario, we've quickly jumped to uh, the idea that there will be widespread uh, job loss that will, you know, we're, we're for sure there'll be, you know, five people owning all the robots, uh, you know, and, and they'll, ha they'll have all the wealth and all the rest of us will be, you know, hopefully, hopefully they're impoverished or we'll, we'll be getting a, a, a check from uh, from the government or from these, you know, these wealthy five capitalists. So the sort of the job loss scenario seems to be very prevalent in people's minds. I think people can very easily understand how they can lose their jobs. They don't, I think, they find it much harder, I think, to understand the other scenario where somehow they'll work with the robots and they'll be more and we're, we're entering a society of abundance for sort of the society of scarcity. I think just seems far more relevant 
and easier to imagine for people. Well, I, I think you're right. I think we see enough movies where what you just described happens that people, including myself, do something known as reasoning from fictional evidence. And uh, after a while, it just becomes, <laughs> that's my, that's my, that's you've described most of my life. I'm reasoning from fictional evidence. Well, that, that's what Fantastic. we do. And, and it's all very compelling, but let me, let me paint you the, not, not some rose colored, uh, glasses view of, of, of it, but, but in this country without, Taking the Great Depression out, which was not caused by technology, just push that aside for a moment. Over the course of 250 years in this country, unemployment has always, always been between 4 and 10%. Always. Now, I've tried very hard to figure out what the half-life of a job is, and I think it's 50 years. I think every 50 years, all the jobs are just half the jobs are lost. Every 50 years, half the jobs are lost. 1850 to 1900, half of all the jobs vanished. They were largely agricultural. 1900 to 1950, same thing. 1950 to 2000, half the jobs vanished. A lot of manufacturing jobs and the rest. Now, so you have to say, how did we maintain full employment and uh, losing half the jobs every 50 years and rising wages, by the way? And I'll push it further. If I gave you a graph of 250 years of unemployment data, and I said, hey, look at that graph, and I want you to find where the uh, assembly line was invented. I want you to find where we replaced all animal power with steam power in 22 years. Find find where that bumped unemployment. Any, any. You can't. You can't see it anywhere in the data. So what we know empirically is that we can have these amazing new technologies. We can destroy vast numbers of jobs. And it isn't that we recover. It's that you cannot even see it happening. Now, is AI somehow different? I want to, I want to start by saying the, the way that what people say about technology, and they're saying it about AI, is they say, look, technology is great. It, it makes awesome new jobs like um, a geneticist. And but then it destroys these low-end, low-skill jobs like uh, order taker at fast food restaurant. And then people say this, and I'm sure you've heard this. They say, "Do you really think that order taker is going to become a geneticist? Do they really have the skills to do these new jobs?" And the answer is no, not at all. What happens is a, a college biology professor becomes a geneticist, and then a high school biology teacher gets the college job. Then a substitute teacher gets hired on at the high school all the way down the line. The question isn't, can the displaced people do the, the, the new jobs? The question is, can everybody do a job a little harder than the job they have today? If, if so, that's 250 years of economic history in this country. E uh, technology makes great new jobs, and it destroys bad ones, and everybody shifts up one notch. Now, AI is effectively, it's a productivity tool. Like all technologies, it's a productivity tool. And productivity tools cannot destroy jobs. If, if you thought that, you would, you would propose legislation that required people to work with one arm tied behind their back. Because if you did that, productivity would decline, and you would need a lot more people to grow the food, and you would need a lot more people to do everything, and you would create an enormous number of jobs. Unfortunately, wages would plummet, right, because everybody's productivity is down, so wages have to fall. It takes more people to do anything. Now, if that's bad, then technology, and AI included, is by definition good. It's like adding a third arm. It makes people more productive. It increases productivity, which by definition will increase wages for everyone. Everyone. All right. So you're so to me, and you know, I'm I, I guess I'm pretty optimistic about technology and, and what it can do for our society. 
But I think what's been missing, uh, and that's one reason I really um, you know like the book because I you know I you know I get a lot of books floating through my office, and many of them are about. Uh, you know, AI is going to, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to it's gonna take over all the missile systems and it's going to, you know, launch a nuclear war. Or there's going to be absolutely no jobs. And there, there don't seem to be a lot of sort of optimistic books. And but what I, and I think what's been missing is sort of like the story, a, some sort of plausible story that people can understand, which will show the road, the road ahead, that it's not just going to be everybody is either a geneticist or the geneticist butler. Like that's there, 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 there will be some sort of middle ground. Society will look in the future in a way that is understandable, which will be a vast, which, you know, most people, I don't know, maybe, who knows, maybe the, 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 the trend unemployment rate might be a, a bit higher. Who knows? Maybe it'll be lower, but it will be a recognizable society um, where there's a vast spectrum of jobs, it's vast, vast spectrum of jobs of different skill levels, and there's a place for everybody. And I think that's the concern. Right. I mean, if you had gone back 25 years in time when the Internet came out and you had said, uh, hey, this thing's going to come out in 25 years, billions of people are going to use it. What's that going to do to jobs? You might have said, you know, well, I think the stockbrokers are in bad trouble and the travel agents are in bad trouble and the yellow pages are in bad trouble. And you would have been right about everything, everything. But we all would have missed, though, are all the things that it made. Nobody saw Etsy and nobody saw eBay. Nobody saw Airbnb or Uber or Amazon or Google or Baidu or Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. And all of the millions of jobs that came out of this technology. So I would say everybody listening to this, if you can hold a tool in your hand that has AI in it, your productivity just went up and your wages will go up from that. That that's it's as simple as that. Anything that makes you more productive as a person is good for you, and and is good for wages. Right and right. You you it would have been you know I guess uh, if you were you know forward thinking you'd have pointed out all these you know some of these transformations in the job market. You know of course one of the classic example is you know uh, you know bank tellers in which everyone thought the bank tellers are going to be replaced by the ATMs. We'd have no bank tellers. Uh, but what happened is that um, there were just, you could then have a lot more branches. So maybe there were fewer bank tellers per branch, but you had a lot, but you have, a, there were more branches. So totally, so you didn't have a, you did not have a collapse right away in the number of bank tellers. I mean, the job market labor effects don't necessarily work out the way people imagine. Plus you would have pointed to all these occupations, which may have been you know greatly changed, but yet here we are sitting in uh, 2018 with an unemployment rate in this country, you know, of about three and a half percent with an economy filled with jobs that people didn't know about. So so I think that's, you know, I I, I hope you're right. But I think it's at this point, I think, I think it's still hard, maybe because we've gone through this terrible. We had this recession and, uh, you know, kind of a slow recovery. And I, I just wonder if we're just a lot more risk averse. And my concern is that will then feed into policy where people will be less will be more reluctant to count on these new technologies uh bringing jobs and people will be less tolerant to the sort of creative destruction which is really at the sort of the to the economic heart of your book that you believe that there is creative destruction and ultimately the the gains will be you know there'll be a net positive even if even if we have a society that is that, that looks a lot different and I'm, i just wonder if people will tolerate that level of destruction uh, in the future as they have in the past. It's a valid point, but I, I think if we just remember anything that makes people more productive is by definition kind of pro-human and pro-us. 
and people embrace tools that make them more productive. It's never the micro narrative that, you know, it's like, hey, I can give you some tools that will make you more productive. Would you like them? Yes, of course. It's only kind of this abstract macro, what would happen if kind of scenario. And and you're so I think it's all going well, to I'll, I'll give you another well, example. Is that I, I read a little bit about uh, I'll write about you know autonomous cars. And, you know, I tend to focus on, boy, you know, fant- fantastic, you know, less time wasted just sort of, you know, looking at a bumper, you know, 10 feet ahead of yours on Interstate 95. And so, you, you know, that you, know, you can use your time more you know, productively or more interestingly. And of course, all the you know tens of thousands of people won't be dying on the highways. Boy, I, you know, it, it sounds great. Autonomous vehicles to me sound really great. And I'll, you know, write about it or tweet about it. And people will say, well, that's, well, that's great. You're going to have, the, you know, uh, the government will be able to track you wherever you go, and uh, pretty soon it'll be illegal to drive your own car. And I loved it, and I and I love driving, and and the car culture is a big part of America. So now you're going to take that away from us. Uh, so sometimes the pushback isn't in ways, um, you know, in ways that you would naturally expect. But I, I just wonder if we're. I mean, what kind of feedback have you gotten in the book? Have you gotten a lot of pushback saying this is, you know, this is a, a utopian thinking and there's going to be all these downsides to these technological advances? No, no. I think people, for the <laughs> most part, want. I think people are innately optimistic and they're they're surrounded by pessimism and they're they're surrounded by you know. Look, caution has served us well as a species. Somebody. Smarter than me said once, I don't know who it was, that uh, back in the day, it was far better to, to see a rock and think it was a bear and run away than to see a bear and say, ah, it's just a rock and stay put. You got eaten. So we became skittish by nature and that has served us well. I will say that technology has always changed us. And there were people who mourned the passing of the horse culture uh, when the car came along. And there were people who were against the car for all kinds of, it's going to be, they're noisy and they cause pollution and they're death traps and all of the rest. And, and in the end, the, the technology persuades them or outlives people. And that's kind of what happens. Did you know in ancient times, our memories were much better than they are now, but in a preliterate time when you couldn't write, read anything, the only way to know anything was to remember it. And so people right. had these amazing memories and technology came along and even Plato said, you know, this is not a technology that's going to help you. writing is not a technology. that's going to help you remember anything. It's only going to remind you of things you've forgotten. And, and yet our memories are much worse and we're fine with it. And likewise, you know, we know Augustine was the first person in, in like the 400s, who ever saw anybody read quietly, read to themselves in the past, before that, everybody read out loud. And the idea that words would come off a page and go through your eyeball onto your brain would have just seemed like, oh my gosh, that's, that's witchcraft. Like, I, I, and, and so it's like, we, we always had these growing pains with the new technology and then we wouldn't trade it away for anything. The smartphone was the same way. Video games. I mean, it's it, online dating. Like, if you had told people 15 years ago you met your spouse online, uh, that would have just been like crazy. And now it, <laughs> for it's for sure. Assume. And then uh, buying stuff online with a credit card. Are you crazy? And uh, now, well, oh, listen. I I, <laughs> I remember when I, when people started doing that, and I uh, uh, I remember when you know when I was reported, the coworkers just 
you know, I think it was one of our technology reporters would do it. And they're like, you realize your entire identity is going to be stolen. Your life is going to be ruined. Your, all your bank accounts will be emptied out. This is insane. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, uh, as we sort of get toward the end, do you, let me ask you this, because this comes up a lot here in Washington, where I am, where you have a lot of policymakers are very concerned that America's losing. America's losing the AI race and China seems to be, you know, sinking all this money uh, in, in, into the technology, into research. Um, one, what do you make? Do you is that the right framing to look at it as sort of a, a race like the space race? You know that one country needs to become dominant in AI, or else it will lag the other country and be a less powerful country. Do you, what, what do you what do you view of sort of that? That's that kind of a metaphor. You know, I, I I don't really buy the narrative to start with, but. But that, that, that China first, is ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say it this way, which is, I don't, I don't know what China is ahead in AI and America. It, it's like Google does AI and Baidu does AI and Facebook does AI, and 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 they're not really to, to compartmentalize it by nation. I think is just. Um, not really kind of how it happens. Uh, that being said, I never think about it one way or the other. It's, it's, there is so much, it, it would be akin to it saying, Oh, China's ahead of American electricity a hundred years ago. And it's like, that, electricity is, is like, everything's going to be electrified. Everything's going to be AI. There's not, there's not going to be this giant, like, space race to Mars where on your mark, get set, go. And everybody, I mean, it's like, this is the new world is everything's going to be made smart and it's going to be made smart in a million different ways by a million different companies in all corners of the world. I think the, the broader question I mean, I mean, is, it's not, it's, it's not like you, um, like you invent this technology and then you sort of keep the technology. I mean, it's it, it's not like you know they've you've invented a uh, I don't know, it, it just seems to me that these technologies get out they diffuse they uh, and even right. if one country I mean there's not a there's not a wall uh, around any country keeping keeping all the good information in right. um, it gets out right. and people benefit and most of the benefits go to people who didn't invent technology that's the same thing with entrepreneurs most of the benefits uh, from from building Google or or Amazon. Go to the consumers. Go to everybody else, not necessarily the Jeff Bezos. You know, but uh, to to directly answer the question about the business environment in the U.S., I think if you're going to start a business anywhere, this is still, I think, the best place in the world to do it. And 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 so if if you say in, in the larger sense, how is the U.S. doing in terms of its economy? Are we still like inventing awesome new stuff? I think you only have to look at the internet, and you have to say, you know. Google, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, eBay, Etsy, you know, just rattle down all of them. And they're, they, they just, each one of those companies is a testament to the amount of innovation that, that happens. Now, there are big, impressive companies all over the world and, you know, in China as well. And that's a testament to them. But innovation is by no means somehow impaired or maimed in this country right now. It's, it's, it's like, it's like the a, a great rush right now. It could not be better right now. There, there are so many things you can invent 
you can take any business that exists on, on this earth and say, how can I apply AI to that? And, and, and that's it. That's like a whole new industry right there. Um, just as we get to the end, you do spend some, some considerable amount of time talking about the sci-fi AI or super intelligence or, 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 gen, or general AI. Uh, again, the kind of thing probably a lot of people think about when they hear about artificial intelligence and, and, and what that means for sort of us, uh, of, of us uh, as humans. Do you, so do you, th- so do you think that happens and do you think that happens in a hundred years or 500 years? Well, the book, I never directly talk about what I think because I'm not being coy. I think what I think is kind of irrelevant. Uh, I can tell you, I could ask you three questions about very basic beliefs you have. And from those three questions, you, you can kind of know. Like the question, first question is, are you a machine? Like you have to start with that question. Um, I am not. Well, if you're not a machine, then we, then no machine can ever be made to do what you do. And therefore, we'll never make a general intelligence. It, it all begins with the mechanistic view of the world. I would say that all the people I've had on my AI podcast, 95% of them who are in the AI industry, if I say, are you a machine? They go, oh, well, yeah, of course. I mean, like, <laughs> what else? Come on. What else is there without having to appeal to superstition? Like, they, they think the question is beyond debate. And yet, when I put the survey question up on my website, I only get 15% of people who think that. So if, if the answer to the question so, is... It's, no, all, the lot, it's all the Luddites like me. We, none of us think we're machines. We all think we're... Well, I do know, think the most compelling souls. argument is right. this. It, it says, you've got a brain that we don't know how it works. Like, that's it. That's to be generous to say we don't know how it works. We don't even know how a single thought is encoded. Then you have a mind. Your brain does these things we don't understand, like creativity imagination, emotion that like your liver doesn't do. So how does your brain do these things? And then you have consciousness and consciousness is that you experience the world. You can feel warmth. A computer can only measure temperature. A computer can't feel warmth. Um, And all three of those things, we don't know how to explain scientifically. You can make a great case. That means it's hubris hubris to say, oh, but we're going to build all that in silicon. Like, you don't know that. You don't know how to build any of You don't know how any of that stuff works. How do you say you're going to build it? But then the answer is, we're just machines. That's all we are. Physics governs us. If physics governs us, we'll figure it out. So that's the debate at, at core. If you're a machine, you'll see that stuff in science fiction. If you're not a machine, it'll never happen. Before, before we go, uh, you mentioned you have a podcast. Why don't you tell the audience about uh, your podcast, how they, how they can find that? Well, you can find me at ByronReese.com, B-Y-R-O-N-R-E-E-S-E.com, uh, or follow me on Twitter at Byron Reese. The podcast is an hour, it's called Voices in AI. It's an hour long, and it's, it's, it's very dry. So if you're interested in AI, I would encourage you to do it. If you're not, uh, avoid it like the play, because <laughs> it, will, it, will, it will be more interesting to watch paint dry than, uh, than listen to that podcast. Uh, but uh, I'm both enticed and yet duly warned. Byron, hey, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. It was great fun. Thanks for having me. City sky comes down like rain Through all the alleys to the sea I hear footsteps getting